Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day, this time we have together. We ask you to bless all of our students and teachers uh, and uh, bring us uh, back safely on Sunday. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. Where's mine now? What did I do with it? Oh, my notes. Now, next week, uh, I'm going to be gone. Father Sean's going to be gone. Uh, and, and Kevin Hart has agreed to teach a class in, on uh, poetry uh, and, and worship. And we have the two poems uh, by George Herbert, Love. Oh, they're on there. She's very good. All you have to do is pick up one page right over here, and you've got uh, the two poems, one on prayer and one titled Love. Is that right? Yes. Exactly, and you'll be able to study it and think about it over this week, and then uh, uh, Wednesday, uh, Kevin will open it up for us, uh, for you all. And uh, so this is what we're doing. We're doing uh, classes on uh, worship, and I'm just going to have an introductory class tonight, and you can ask questions if you want to. If you have any questions about worship at all, email Email me with those questions so that I can uh, 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 t talk about them and possibly even answer them. No guarantee that I can, but possibly. Uh, and um, so this week we'll do an introduction. Next week, Kevin will do poetry on worship. And then the next week we'll do an instructed Eucharist. Have any of you ever been in an instructed Eucharist? Those of you that have, raise your hand. How many? Wow, okay, one or two. Well, that's great, then we're all new with that. An instructed Eucharist is a real Eucharist. Uh, it's not just instruction. I mean, we're going to actually celebrate the Holy Communion, but we do it in slow motion, and the priest will be at the altar doing this, and then, uh, and then the other priest, probably I'll probably be at the altar. Father Sean will be at the altar. Uh, uh, not in the pulpit, but in the, at the lectern, and he will give a running commentary uh, to you of what's going on. And so it, it's a little bit longer, and I'm not sure what the, what the hours are for that. We may do that before we eat, uh, but we'll get that information to you. Uh, it, it'll probably take an hour uh, to do the whole thing. All right, that's good, that's a great idea. Very nice. It's good to be back. Vacation was awesome. We had COVID the very first day. First day. Haven't had COVID at all. First day one, we both test positive and tested positive all week. Probably test positive now. Uh, but uh, it wasn't bad a couple of days. Uh, didn't harm fishing because fishing was terrible anyway. Fishing was miserable. I caught three fish, three, three, I caught four, yeah, can you believe it? And let me tell you something, I fished because I'm serious about fishing. I'm not a baby when it comes, I don't whine about it. I'm out there for four or five hours a day, and if the waves move it, that's enough excitement for me to keep going. Uh, and I caught four fish three croakers that I threw back because I felt sorry for them, they were so small, and one stingray, which was about that big, which is just a miserable fish 
to catch. You you did have to cut the line. So he had to cut the line. Well, who? I mean, I'm holding. I'm holding the pole. You know, somebody's got to go down there and cut the line, and uh, and volunteered to do that. Yes, she did. Yes, she did. Yes, she volunteered. Okay, take my word for it. You don't believe your priest? My goodness. And don't worry. Don't worry about the stingray. Those of you that are in animal rights. Did not hurt the stingray because the hook that was in the stingray's mouth would dissolve in two days in the ocean, right? Not a problem. Okay. Alrighty, enough of that. So we can get on with this uh, class. And what I'm going to do is to read this to you and then just go through some. Uh, basic things about about worship and we can uh, we can talk about it uh, as we go on if you have questions we can uh, we can talk about those questions and uh, and maybe answer them if not if not we can at least get the questions out there and talk with and uh, work with them later on so any any questions always take notes you should always take if you take notes, that means you're paying attention, right? Amen. If you take notes, who said amen? Amen. If you take notes, you have to pay attention. But uh, I, will, I will make this available. And this is being recorded right now, so everything that I'm saying, you can use against me. You'll have the recording. All righty. So I'm going to begin with a description here that uh, some of you may be familiar with, but certainly you will be familiar with this experience. Processions from homes all over town and county begin early Sunday morning. We wake from sleep, we rise from our beds, sunlight spreads from the east, pours through our bedroom windows, into our kitchens, our living rooms, and our baths as we groom ourselves for what we're about to participate in. Can you all hear me? The aroma of coffee, at my house anyway, or Sunday lunch slow cooking in the oven uh, may begin uh, to sweeten our homes. Today is different uh, from all other days of the week. Whether married, single, alone, or with children, we all join in the same ritual of preparation. Some of us will lay out our freshly laundered sundry, Sunday clothes. We polish our shoes, brush off our coats, we vest ourselves in the best we have because we are about to meet God at the very place he's promised to be. Some will pay less attention to what they're wearing, but their anticipation is the same. We all expect to meet God this morning. There are no abstractions. This is all very concrete, very specific to time and place, very localized. Yes, it's true that each person has a story to tell, and each one is the narrator, the editor, the subject of his own story. But this morning, all of our personal stories are collected and given parts to play in God's autobiography. His story is in our story, and our story, by His grace, is in His story. This morning, we have a common destination, 
a specific altar within a specific parish church. And that's where it will happen. It could be no other way. As we enter the church, friends may greet us with smiling faces. We pick up a bulletin. We walk into the nave with other parishioners who have just arrived. The organist is playing the prelude, a selection of music that corresponds to the church season. Let's say that this is the first Sunday of Advent, the beginning of the Christian year. Some parishioners dip their fingers into the baptismal font as they pass by and make the sign of the cross upon their chest. Before entering the pew, they genuflect or bow modestly, focusing upon the sanctuary that is situated eastward. Sunlight pours through the great window above the altar. The altar is the center of our attention, not the pulpit. The candles are lit. Next to the tabernacle, which holds the consecrated host from previous worship services, the sanctus lamp burns. After slipping into our pew, we kneel and say a short prayer, asking for God's blessing upon this service of worship. We pray for the priest, the deacons, the lectors, the choir, and the acolytes. We pray for our friends and for ourselves gathered here in common prayer. The organist prelude ends and he trumpets the beginning of the processional hymn. And we all rise to our feet as we sing the first hymn of praise to the Blessed Trinity as the gathered body of Christ. The hymn we commonly use on this first Sunday of Advent is written by Charles Wesley, and it's number one in the hymnal. Come thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation, joy of every longing heart, born thy people to deliver, born a child and yet a king, born to reign in us forever. Now thy gracious kingdom bring by thine own eternal spirit, Rule in all our hearts alone by thy all-sufficient merit. Raise us to thy glorious throne. Now, all our scattered lives, all of our stories, all of our personal processions from city and county and home are gathered up into this great procession of the Church of God at the beginning of the Eucharist. The crucifer leads the way, holding high the cross of Christ, followed by the choir, the other ministers, and finally, the celebrant, who is vested in a plain white alb, a purple stole, and a purple chasuble. Before the hymn is ended, the ministers pass through the altar rails into the sanctuary and line up 
facing the altar, which is elevated above them. They genuflect together. As the assisting ministers go to their stations within the sanctuary, the celebrant ascends the steps, his back to the people, and his eyes upon the golden crucifix upon the altar. At the end of the hymn, and after a brief silence, the celebrant declares, let us pray. And everyone in the parish church, but he, kneels as he prays the prayer known as the Collect for Purity. Almighty God, unto whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of thy Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love thee and worthily magnify thy holy name. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Thus, the Holy Communion between the Holy Trinity and the church and the people of God has begun concretely and specifically. You're all familiar with that. Already, with just this brief description of the beginning, we can see eight attitudes, eight dispositions, eight movements that will be repeated over and over again throughout the Mass. And those, those eight attitudes or dispositions or movements constitute our personal relationship with God. And I'll talk about those as well. Any questions? Any questions about my description? <laughs> of Any comments? It's beautiful, and it's just a simple description of what we do uh, every Sunday, and in fact, every day. So our relationship with God is a personal relationship. What does that mean? Well, we have personal relationships here. We have personal relationships with one another. But our relationship with God is not like our relationship with one another. We're embodied. Uh, we can see one another. We know, uh, to some degree, one another's history. Uh, we can look at our one another in the face and know whether or not we're bored or whether we're not feeling well or maybe we're overjoyed. Uh, you can, we can read one another to some degree, but our relationship to God is, is different. Uh, and that's because he's God, he's infinite, uh, he's simple, he's outside of creation entirely. And we're creatures. And so there's a distance built in between us uh, that would never be, um, uh, never, never be um, traversed, never be shortened, except by the grace of God. And that's why it's, that's why it's possible, and that's why we have a personal relationship with God so let me hit on these eight dispositions and then we can maybe talk a few minutes about that if you want to uh, and, and as I said what I'm what I'm saying is these are eight dispositions or attitudes or movements of of ourselves as a group as individuals 
um, that uh, at least, let's say, is a way to begin talking about what it means to have a personal relationship uh, with God. The first uh, attitude is adoration. Right? You can see this already. Kneeling, bowing, genuflecting. This is so different from anything else that we, that is why. What we are doing, uh, what we expect this morning is, is entirely other than what we expect from any other relationship or any other uh, 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 phenomena that we experience in the world. Uh, there's gravity in a lot of places. You go to a courthouse uh, for a speeding ticket or something, there's gravity there. Uh, go to a doctor's office for a checkup, there's gravity there. But you don't kneel uh, to the judge. Here, uh, something else I want to say about this is I think these are spontaneous reactions. These are spontaneous movements that we that we have. We don't have to so much make ourselves do it. But once you see it, once you see that, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Uh, this is what we're doing. This is these are the elements of worship. Then you can maybe open yourselves up more to them. Adoration. God is wholly other. He's outside of. He's not a creature. He's not another object within the world like we are. He's totally outside. Yes. Were you going to ask a question? You do. You may. You may. Yeah. You. There. There are certain people. Uh, a certain. That's a good point. Uh, because we're talking about that's a political issue, which means that the church is political as well. Because we're talking about a kingdom here, aren't we? We're talking about a nation, a peculiar people, a nation that's in. Uh, you're, uh, you have citizenship in. Uh, and it, in some ways, certainly in other countries where we have kings, that, that sort of thing, we may kneel or take our hat off uh, to that person, mimicking the great king. Because those things mean nothing apart from some other reality that they're tapping into. Uh, except they may mean something from the standpoint of power uh, and threats and that sort of thing. So adoration, bowing, kneeling, kneeling, genuflecting, making the sign of the cross, even within the worship service, maybe a sense of sacredness. Uh, certainly, I think people experience that. Uh, sacredness, uh, a sense of holiness. Even sometimes maybe a sense of fear, uh, as in uh, awesomeness, as in numinous awe, but also love uh, is involved with that as well. St. Augustine wrote, Thou hast made us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till we rest in thee. And so maybe that is 
realized in, in, in the worship. When St. Augustine said that, he didn't, he didn't mean that uh, uh, you have made us, uh, Lord, uh, you have made the elect for yourself, uh, and the elect are restless till they rest in thee. He meant this for all of creation, for all, all human beings, all, all of creation. Hearts are restless until they rest in God. There's, there's no merely natural point of view or natural way of being that will fulfill the greatest longing of the human heart. And our experience of adoration uh, may, may point to that. Let me say this too. God doesn't need our adoration. Uh, uh, God is perfect, beautiful, uh, all-powerful, no, nothing greater than God. Uh, our worship to God adds nothing to God. Isn't that what the hymn says here? He doesn't need our worship. It doesn't add anything to God. Our worship adds to us. Our worship of God connects us to reality. Are you all with me so far? Okay. Uh, God doesn't need our adoration, but our adoration of God is, is, uh, is, a, is, a, is the only appropriate uh, first move. So, adoration is one. Number two, confession of sin. God has a vocation for humanity. And the vocation that God has for all of humanity is communion with himself. And again, our hearts are restless until we, begin, until we are on that path of communion and experience uh, communion with God. But God calls us to a free, personal response. We idolize ourselves. But when we return to God in worship, we experience penitence. Penance in our heart and confession of our sins, our shortcomings, our mistakes on our lips. And we receive God's absolution. Number three, proclamation and thanksgiving. I suppose proclamation, generally speaking, when you think of that, you think of, of, of the sermon, and the sermon is certainly one significant event of proclamation. But like I said, of all of these, the, this, these are not like you have one and then you have the other. I mean, this is throughout the whole worship service that these particular attitudes uh, come about. Uh, in the Mass, we, we, we recite the mighty acts of God in salvation. We give Him thanks uh, for our creation, our preservation of our lives until this day. Uh, and all, all the blessings of this life and the means of grace, the hope of, of glory. Uh, and as I said, that, that may be in, it may be in the sermon that we hear that, but it's also in the hymns. Uh, just as in the hymn, the Wesley hymn that I uh, read, as well as uh, in the in the liturgy uh, of the church. Number four, the fourth move is commitment. When we realize God's holiness 
and God's love for us. And we are convicted in our hearts for our shortcomings, our sins, and our idolatry. Then we confess our sins to God in the Mass itself. And if, if in the Mass itself isn't sufficient, then you go to a priest and you make, you make, a, you make a private uh, confession. And that fills us up knowing the awesomeness of God, the holiness of God, the love of God, knowing that in reality I have failed God and I've failed myself and I've failed everyone who loves me, and that I've given myself over to idolatry in various ways. Uh, but God has forgiven me because God desires this relationship of, of, of communion between us. But I know that's not the end of it. As soon as that's done, uh, I make a commitment. You have these various opportunities throughout the, throughout the Mass in order to make personal commitment to God in thanksgiving uh, for His grace and for your creation preservation, uh, and for the means of grace, for hope of glory and, and everything else in in your life, and, and that uh, the, those acts of commitment may be short prayers where you, you're moved by the Holy Spirit and you thank God for His blessing, for His love for you, for His forgiveness, and you make a commitment to Him. You can, you, sometimes we make those commitments even non-verbally. Uh, we, we feel it deep in our, our, in, our, in our bones. But we also, when we come to receive the Holy Communion and we put our hands out, uh, or we open our mouth and stick our tongues out to receive the Blessed Sacrament, uh, we are making a commitment to God and to God's people. But first, first and foremost, we're making a commitment to God to value what He values and to value His judgments above everything else in the world. Does this make sense to you? Are you all with me? I mean, this should be, I'm, I'm thinking... This is our personal experience. This is our personal experience of a personal relationship uh, with God. Jesus has come to us in flesh. God has come to us in flesh in the incarnation. And he's come to us with actions and with a message in, in our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know what his values are. We have it written down in a book. We can go and look at the Sermon on the Mount. We can take those teachings seriously and, so, and repent of taking them lightly or not taking them at all and, and, uh, and, and, and pray for reformation and pray for God's ability uh, and the work of the Holy Spirit in us so that we can know what he wants to know his values and, and, and what he wants out of us and then to perform the same. That's number four. Number five, and number four, like I said, this is a spontaneous thing, so I know the majesty of God. I know my failings and I confess my sin. And then I receive absolution uh, and, and I, have, have, I have gratitude. And then spontaneously, I know I need to make a commitment. I want to make a commitment. That's the next, it's the next obvious step. Uh, 
and, and then after making a commitment to our Lord, uh, the fifth uh, element here is intercession. Intercessory prayer. Uh, this is the, uh, so many of our prayers in the Mass are prayers on behalf of others. They're particular, particular intercessions for ourselves, for our family, for our church, for our loved ones, for those we don't love, for those we don't even care that much about. We pray for them, and we pray for the life of the whole world. Now, like adoration, God does not need God doesn't need our intercession to, uh, I mean, it's not like we're informing God of the value of his creation, right? It's his creation. He created it with a purpose, and he knows what the value of that creation is. It came from him. He called every one of you and your children and your parents, and as I said, people you love and people you don't love. He called each one of us out of nothingness. I mean, that's an astonishing thing. He called us out of nothingness, out of the darkness of nothingness, into participation in his being. St. Paul uh, at, in, uh, at Mars Hill says, I come to proclaim to you the unknown God. In him you live and you move and you have your being. We, didn't, we don't have being. We, we can't subsist on our own. We didn't call ourselves into existence. And there's not some kind of, there's no, like, historical necessity for any of you or me to exist. There wasn't something put in motion thousands of years ago that resulted in me or you. You and I exist because God has called us specifically, personally, out of nothingness into participation in his existence so he already loves us he already loves the world and and a big part of intercession is that it puts us deeper in communion with God and deeper in touch with his values and and with the reality of the world that we live in you see what I'm saying you're not sure that you do? Okay. I don't know why God wants us. I don't know why God calls on us to pray for one another and for the life of the world. Because he already knows. He already knows the need. He already knows everything. But he has done that. He has called on us to do that. So we pray for the blessed departed. Every Mass we have, we pray for the blessed departed. And the blessed departed pray for us. It's not like they're in heaven and they forgot that we exist. For some reason, this economy of prayer and intercession is what it means to be in communion with God. It also means to be in communion with one another. Right? Intercession, that's number five. Number six, and then we'll take some questions after this if you have any. Expectation is part of worship as well. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Uh, we expect to meet God when we come to church. 
we expect God to hear our prayers, uh, and we expect God to respond to us, and and we do so because of the history of the church, because that what that is exactly what Christ has taught us to do, to do, and this expectation continues to burn in our lives, and continues to be a light uh, in our lives, even when things seem shattering, when events seem shattering in our lives personally, uh, or communally, or, or nationally, we continue to have this expectation that in worship, in worship of God, we make things right. We bring things back to, back to balance. Number six, expectation. Number seven and eight are a little bit odd, but I think they're true. Number seven is absence. Feelings of separation and of absence are part of a relationship, isn't it? You're in, think of the people that you're in a relationship with. I mean, part of the reason, I mean, part of your, the depth of the relationship and the, the reality of that relationship is, is the feeling of their absence when, they're, when they are absent. And as difficult as it is to talk about, uh, we all go through these experiences in life when we feel that God's, God is absent. It's as though he's not here uh, for me. Uh, that's, a, that's a common experience in the church. It's a common experience with, with Christians. I mean, you, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Uh, are the words of our Lord. Uh, and I think the words that we can all, I think we can all relate to. Don't be surprised if you have that experience in worship as well. In fact, I want to suggest to you that that may be rich. There's a concept in the church called consolation. You know what I'm, have you, you know what I'm talking about, consolation. Sometimes people who, for, for example, uh, C.S. Lewis and other people have talked about this sort of thing, people who have gone through conversion experiences. It's as though after their conversion experience, early on especially, it's like everything. It's like God is talking to them constantly. I, I turn on, I get up and drive to work and I turn on the radio and there's a song on there and it's like, God, put that song on there for me. You, you have... You, you have that kind of experience. Uh, so, sometimes it's like God has, is writing it in the sky. I love you, and everything's going to be okay, and I'm taking care of you. But that's not, that doesn't last. Uh, it's a consolation Sometimes in the deepest, darkest moments of our life, we'll have that sense of God's strong presence for us and with us. And these are, these are consolations, special gifts given to, given to us by God to, to, to help us. But then those things are withdrawn. And then you don't, it's, it's like, 
where's God now in all of this? So here's the thing that's going on there. Here's one thing that's going on there. Uh, God, I think this is pedagogical because I think God means to teach us how to live by faith and not by sight. We, we have deep, dark moments then we may have those experiences of consolation. After your conversion, uh, after converting experiences, people may have those experiences of consolation as well. But rarely does that sort of thing continue. When it, when it doesn't continue, this is the issue. Learning how to walk by faith rather than by sight. And if you remind yourself of that, don't be surprised that in, in worship you might feel that it's barren, uh, that nothing's happening uh, with you. Uh, remind yourself, walk by faith, not by sight. Right? Are you with me? The last one, that, as I said, that's a little odd, uh, and, and, and it's difficult, but I think it is a, it's a very real experience for Christians. The last, the last movement here is wrestling. This is similar to that. Uh, so we have experiences in life where, for whatever reason, we end up wrestling with God. Uh, it's a good biblical idea, right? Jacob wrestled with the stranger uh, and, and prevailed. Uh, but for whatever reason, those, that wrestling, or as we say in North Carolina, wrestling, <laughs> that may also be an experience that you have in worship. Uh, and, and what I want to encourage you with is this, is that in those personal existential experiences of absence, he's not here for me. Or in the, in the experience where he's present, Unless you're wrestling with God, you may have some anger with God. Again, this has to do with relating. This has to do with a relationship. I mean, you've all heard of lovers' quarrels. I know you've never had that. We all have lovers' quarrels. Even Anna and I do. I won't say anything else, baby. Uh, so that experience of wrestling uh, is, a, is a common experience. This is what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to run from it. I want you to work at staying with it. The same thing for the experience of absence. I don't want you to run from it. I don't want you to look for a quick fix. I mean, they're, they're all, you can get quick fixes on this. You can read some positive mental attitude preacher that'll pump you up for a while that's not what I want you to do when you have those experiences I want you to thank God for those experiences and try to understand what you're learning from it and what you can because I think that what this is all this is is the wrestling has to do with it has to do with a real relationship I don't believe that a person has a real relationship without this sense of some these occasional experiences of frustration and anger 
uh, it's not always sweetness and light. Now, just to cap this off, you, you've heard of like Kubler Ross's stages of grief, you know, this stage and this. And, 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 I mean, people seem to think that, well, you're in the anger stage. You don't know what stage I'm in, right? You don't know that. Uh, it, this isn't stages. Uh, these things don't come just one after another. These are, are jumbled up and they occur uh, more like waves uh, throughout, uh, throughout the worship service. They are, they are subjective. You're experiencing, the, experiencing them subjectively, but they're also objectively real because we're worshiping God and this is the way God is relating to us. All right, we've got five minutes. You can't ask too many questions in five minutes, can you? Any questions or comments? We're just getting started, okay? And, and uh, I, I'm not going to, this is not an outline for the rest of the, of the classes that we're going to do. Yes? Spiritual high is a great way of to do that. Wow. I don't know. I mean, it could be it could be either one of those. Uh, it could be it could be both. Uh, it's a common experience that I've read about and in pastoral counseling uh, people have, have talked to me about uh, sometimes at, at dark moments too uh, they, they may have that and then, when, and then they experience nothing uh, sometimes when, when something like that has passed and the darkness has passed but I think, it's, I think you, your point is very good it could be on the subjective end and, and, and it, but, but I think also God does not permit us to remain babies and so, uh, and, and we're not, we're not, we are called to walk by faith and not by sight. And that is really true. That's a hard truth. Not by, not by sight, but by faith. And that's, that's the way we learn how to do that. Good question. Good point. Any other comments, questions? Yeah. Yeah. What's your question? I, well, I think they think that this is what it means to be a personal relationship. Yeah, yeah. Suggest that the more Catholic approach is isn't honest or something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that and and I, mean, I was raised in a Baptist church, and that was exactly, you know, the idea of written prayers was just like, who would do that? You know, written prayers—that's so silly. You can't. That can't be really heartfelt, can it? 
But we we would sing hymns every Sunday, and every hymn that we sang was a, was a prayer, uh, and nobody minded that. We never did say the Lord's Prayer, though. Not, I mean, we, we would say the Lord's Prayer at home, but we never would in the church I grew up in. We didn't say the Lord's Prayer like we say it in every Mass uh, here. But there can be spontaneity. There, Again, this is a matter of... Uh, it's not, it's not balance, but of, of openness, openness to God. Uh, I think the, the experience I had when I, when I discovered liturgical church, uh, this is when I was in seminary, was that the liturgy sort of set me free. Uh, I knew what to expect. Uh, and I didn't have to worry about everything that was, was coming next. So there may be an advantage, a sort of spontaneity that can occur there. I wouldn't want to, you know, our prayer tradition in the church doesn't eliminate spontaneous prayer, except in the Mass, you know, uh, and, uh, and, and, and it isn't there because it's common prayer. And common prayer means you can count on what it's going to be. I'm not going to get up and put like a clown nose on myself, you know, and, and say, I don't know, something silly. Uh, so you can you can count on that. That's common prayer, uh, but praying spontaneously is a very good thing, and we should and we should not eliminate eliminate that out of our lives as well. But I, you know, I love morning prayer and I love the prayer book. I think I learned how to pray better spontaneously through the Book of Common Prayer. That's exactly right. And I've been in those positions, haven't you? Haven't you all been in that position where I don't have the, I don't even know what to pray. I don't know how to begin. And, and the and the prayer book can can certainly uh, can certainly help us with that. All righty. Any other questions? Any other comments? Very good. Thank you all very much. Uh, I will print this up or put it online, and you can have it if you want to review it. These eight aspects of worship that are subjective, have a subjective and an objective pull to them, are not, this is not an outline for the future. You can have this in the back of your mind uh, as, we, as we go through this study. Thank you very much. Lord be with you. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful day again. We thank you for uh, all saints and for our parishioners. We thank you for our children and, and our teachers. We ask you to bless this year uh, for, for us all. Uh, at two, and and in such a way that it brings glory to your son and benefits the church. We ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Say spontaneous prayer. I know how to do it. Thank you. <laughs> well, I wish I could be here next week. I'll be at Synod, but... <laughs>